Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Uniquely Better Life podcast. I am Chase Cotton, the community director here at the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. This is episode two of season two, and I'm stoked to introduce you to my friend Cody here in a moment. Today's topic is old friends and new friends, which ought to feel pretty relevant for most of us in the mental health and recovery community because it plays a major role uh, just in everyday life, right? Our relationships and our friendships. So before we dive in, here's some intro music, and then we'll get going. Welcome, Cody. Thank you for being here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? My name's Cody Zaviska. Uh, I live here in Indiana in Avon. Um, I've been in recovery. This is my second time in recovery, um, and I just hit my six months. Dude, uh, congrats. Yeah, February 26th, and you know, coming from me, I thought I was going to die with a needle in my arm. So. Yeah, six months. That's hard work, man. Congrats, for yeah. real. yeah. Everybody says it's it's hard, but I feel like, you know, I still got a long way to go. So Sure. And recovery is a lifestyle, you know? It's a journey that doesn't necessarily have that an end goal aside right. from just tomorrow, you right. know? Let's make it to tomorrow. So why why this topic, right? Of all the topics you could have picked to talk to us about, why were you interested in talking about the old friends and new friends topic? What's it, what's it have, you know? So old friends and new friends was yeah. probably... So when I was in recovery first last year, um, I got about six months clean and, you know, I thought I got this, you know what I mean? I wasn't working with a sponsor. Mm -hmm. I was going to meetings. I was working with a peer recovery coach, but when, when the, when sponsorship got brought up or when step work got brought up, I, I wasn't ready for that. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Well then... I kept my old friends as reservations. So as reservations, what do you mean? Yeah. So I was always the guy who could get anything, you know what I mean? So somebody needed some heroin, they would hit me up. I'd go get it for them mm. and I could make a good amount of money off of it. But so I kept that, you know what I mean? As my little side hustle thinking, I got this. I can, I can still take them and not use interesting and yeah i was good for about a month you know what i mean mm -hmm. and then uh one thing led to another started using meth and in my mind it's like well at least it's not heroin this time you know what i there's mean there's always in that least right there? right <laughs> at least not I, I'm, that. I'm not as bad as i used to be right um but then after six seven eight 12 days of being up straight it's like i gotta come down so yeah. it's like i'll just do i'll just do a little bit of heroin just so i can go to sleep mm. one thing led to another and then it was right back into the, the continuous cycle. downfall i guess you would say and so those old friendships played a major role in that a in very that recurrence. very major role i uh this time i i definitely had to uh sort through them mm. and figure out who I needed to keep around and who I just had to cut ties with completely. Yeah. So, that's a hard process. I want to dig into that a little bit. If you could, without, you know, 
without necessarily being cruel, how would you describe your previous quote unquote friends in active addiction? What were they like? How did they treat you? Well, when I was getting them drugs, it was great. You Mm. know what I mean? They treated me like a king. But when it wasn't benefiting them, forget about me. You Mm. know what I mean? Pretty conditional. Pretty definitely. Uh, I wouldn't even really, like, thinking of friendship, I wouldn't even describe it as a friendship. It was more like business partners or acquaintances. Yeah, kind of transactional in nature. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. So how does that compare to like some of your friends you've made now being since six months into recovery again? So me personally, I'm a very closed off individual. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I don't typically let people in. I don't let people get to know me because of past trauma. Sure. Um, I don't let people see my weaknesses because I feel like they're going to use that against me. So I've been very selective about who I call friends nowadays. Um, and I could probably count to you their names on both hands. Yeah. Um, but that's just, that's what I needed. So sort of that tight knit circle. Yeah. What's the major difference in how they treat you, right? This, this tighter knit circle you have, are they, are they other folks who are mostly in recovery themselves? Definitely. Definitely. Um, they treat me like a person, you Mm. know what I mean? They, they check up on me daily to make sure I'm all right. They, um, my sponsor, he's great, man. He hits me up every morning yeah, just to see how my day's going. Um, and I never had anything like that before. Right. Um, I was in court a few weeks ago and, uh, my judge was telling us a story about this guy who tried to commit suicide by jumping off a bridge. Right. And, uh, he jumped off the bridge, but he lived when he hit the water. And he said the only thing that he wanted was somebody to ask him how he was doing that day, and he wouldn't have jumped. Jeez. And that just really stuck with me, you know yeah. what I mean? So I really cherish the friends that I do have today because it's it's genuine, and I've never felt that before. That's awesome. I love that word, genuine. That that um, It brings other words to mind like uh, like authenticity, realness. Where else do you see that sort of genuineness and authenticity in the recovery community? How do you see it expressing itself? So, at first, I mean, the way I portray myself, I'm, I'm, a lot of people are scared to approach me based on how I look and stuff. But Which I should say is not fair. <laughs> I've had the pleasure of getting to know you over the past few months, and you're one of the kindest dudes here. Right, right. It's, it's a defense thing for me. Sure. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, going to meetings and stuff, like I went to one meeting. It was, uh, I believe it was Thanksgiving Day or New Year's Day, but it was sometime at the end of last year. Yeah. And uh, as soon as I walked in, somebody who I'd never never even seen before, you know, asked me if I wanted something to eat, asked me if I wanted some coffee. And mm. I was good, you know what I mean? But just feeling welcome in that environment, like... That somebody, act of hospitality. Yeah, somebody yeah. just went out of their way to make sure I didn't need anything. And, you know, that's... It's crazy because everybody's like that in the recovery community. At least everybody I've met. Which is awesome. I mean, yeah. I feel like that's even such a statement about the recovery community itself, even as compared to, you know, just some of the other everyday circles we find ourselves in. I feel like, like, regardless of, of, of addiction, like, 
that hospitality doesn't exist everywhere. Right. That that genuineness doesn't exist everywhere, especially in our like social media saturated, masked up society. Like right. you don't always get real when you're yeah. trying to make friends as an adult. So I think that's a really beautiful thing. Definitely. I dig that. So in your opinion, in your experience, how how can you tell the difference between who a true friend is and who a fake friend is? So, like I said, I'm always very picky about who I call friends. Yeah. Um, and it usually takes me a while to feel somebody out. Mm-hmm. Um, just as much as it probably takes them to feel me out. You, you just kind of know. After so long, you just kind of know. The ones who, who stick by you, the ones who, you know, hit you up when they have nothing to do, they want to hang out, and it doesn't involve drugs. They want to go do something with you, just be in your presence. Like, right. You, you just know after a certain amount of time who those real friends are. So what I hear you saying is there's like a level of intuitiveness about it. Yeah. Just kinda, you just kind of feel it. Yeah. You feel that authenticity when you're vibing with them. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm a, me personally, like I... I'm very good at picking up on other people's emotions. Okay. So like if if it feels off, then I I should probably go the other way, but if it if we're vibing there's probably something there. So Sounds like a natural born skill set of sorts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> I could dig it. <laughs> what what are um what are some red flags that especially like, you know, somebody who's early on in their recovery should look out for when it comes to interaction with with folks that used to be a bigger part of their life like what should they be be warned of like look out for this because this could get you in trouble people places and things um those are my biggest triggers if some i still to this day i have people hit me up on facebook and they're like hey man i need to borrow twenty dollars because uh i gotta get some gas when in reality like i know you're back on dope why don't you just tell me that like i'd probably be more inclined to give you that money if you just told me the truth (laughs) yeah um and then like for me because i used to uh i had a a person i would go to off 16th street and i drive by there every day well not every day i'm sorry every week yeah uh, when i go to one of my meetings and i always see that place and it's always like oh man Mm -hmm. that's where i used to that's my old stomping ground you know what i mean right um you just you gotta definitely you got to find out where your triggers are and uh, know how to keep them under control because things could pop up just out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I know uh, people who used to smoke crack and like they'll, they'll smell that smell in the air sometimes and it's, it immediately triggers them. So you mm. never know when a trigger is going to hit you. It could just hit you. So, right. Could um, be a place, could be a scent, could yeah, be a sight. Yeah, exactly. Um, what are some of the methods that, have worked for you most recently and when you when you encounter those triggers so thankfully now i'm on a medication to where it ceases all triggers Mm. well not triggers i should say but cravings cravings Um, yeah now uh being a heroin addict i was on suboxone for a long time and uh it worked when i took it you know what i mean sure but it's got a very very high abuse rate Mm -hmm. and i was one of them ones who would abuse it so that it didn't it works, but it doesn't. You, it didn't work for you. It, right, yeah. right. And, I mean, if you want it, you really got to want it. I tried this other medicine, man, and I, it's a shot that I get once a month. And yeah. It, I feel like, you know, it's got its good and it's bad. Like, again, I have no cravings. So, if a trigger comes, I can think about it real quick. But it's like I don't feel the impulse to act on it. Yeah. 
but also it shuts down my receptors and I feel like it shuts down like my emotional responses. So I don't mm. feel like empathy, compassion, like I used to do. Yeah. But it's worked for me and it's worked up to this point. I, I don't think I could have made it to six months without it. So, so it's a step in the process. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's, you know, that's one of those things that surrounds the idea of medication assisted treatment and right. care, especially early on in recovery, right? There's like, of course, there's the stigma associated with abusing the medication, which still happens and is mm-hmm. a problem that has to be addressed, but it can be a useful tool when it's used appropriately and, and with the help of your doctor. Right. Right. You, you might not be on it for the rest of your life, but right. for now it's helping. Yep. And that's, that's great. You know, it's a good thing. So roping it back around to, uh, to friendships, what, what type of difficulties should someone who is brand new in their recovery anticipate when they're trying to make new friends? Cause like a lot of us, you know, we're, we're adults, right? Not kids no more. <laughs> right. We are adults and making friends is different than just being on the same soccer team or whatever. Right. So. And uh, I definitely face that challenge. I still face that challenge to this day. Um, I just, I feel like after using for so long, I forgot how to interact with people. Interesting. Um, I spent so much time using in solitude and uh, forgot how to carry on normal conversations with people. Yeah. Forgot how to... In my mind, it's like I would think of something to say, but then before I could say it, my brain would tell me, no, that sounds weird or creepy. Don't say nothing. Just so, like psych yourself out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, if your brain's telling you to say something, you just got to say it. You got to speak up for yourself. Right. Um, and to me, like I said, I still have trouble with that. But some people are going to lead into what you're saying or going to follow along with it or, you know, they're going to shut you down and happens so what you move on right you know what i mean it's not the end of the world so yeah that's good advice i feel like sometimes that that internal dialogue is the piece that ends up being one of the biggest barriers mm-hmm. for folks is, is like we don't even give ourselves the chance to be accepted by somebody because we right. you know we're just assuming they're gonna think this they're gonna think that they're gonna think this and that yeah. <laughs> like it just it just never happens right we never take that initiative to be vulnerable right because like i think even the act of saying, hi, my name's Chase, mm-hmm. like that is in itself an act of vulnerability. Right. Or opening yourself up to a conversation with somebody you have no idea about. Right. It seems simple, but it ain't. Like it's, right. It's a choice. It's difficult, you know? And, and me too. Like I'm one of the ones who like, if you don't say anything to me first, I'm not going to say anything yeah. to you. So there's probably been a lot of friendships that I could have had that I didn't because it's just my brain telling me don't talk to that person unless they talk to you first. You sure. know what I mean? And some of that might come down to personality, right? Some of us are more introverted, and that's right. not a bad thing. Right. I can respect that. So you, you said towards the beginning of a conversation that one of the processes you had to go through uh, in recovery was sorting through mm-hmm. your friends. And when I think sorting, I think of like, you know, like different lanes and boundaries. Yep. So what what boundaries have you had to set with those old friends? So all my friends who I used to use with, cut them off. Just cold turkey. Completely. Didn't say nothing, just deleted them, blocked them on Facebook. Yeah. Deleted their numbers out. I actually got a new phone. I didn't have to delete them, but I got a new one and their mm-hmm. number wasn't in it. Um, but that was hard. It. It was, but it wasn't, you know what I mean? Because, again, they were more so just acquaintances. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't even 
just people who use too. Like, um, like I have a ex girlfriend who is now in recovery also, but I had to cut her off because of that trauma from the past. Right. Just anything that could trigger me, I had to nip it in the butt right then and there. So that's wise. Yeah. I mean, I feel like sometimes, uh, sometimes those early, those early in their recovery journey don't have that wisdom yet. Right. Right. And that's, that's sometimes what leads to those, (laughs) those trips. And, uh, the first time I was in recovery, you know, I, I kind of did the same thing, but I kept a few people here and there. Like I kept one dealer just in case, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Had to delete them all this time because that one slip up, you know what I mean? And they're going to throw the book at me. Right. So I'd rather make new friends that genuinely care about me than worry about ones who just want my money or want me to do things for them. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome, man. I so appreciate your wisdom. So what what's like one of your favorite things that you've gotten to do with your new friends in recovery that doesn't involve drug use? So um, so I used to make music. Um, I started making music back when I was 18. I'm 32 now, so I've been making music for about 14 years. Yeah. And when I started using, I kind of put it off. Mm-hmm. Um, Ever since I've been clean, you know, I've, I've started making music again. I've That's got awesome. my studio up and running. Um, I got a team of people behind me who have my well-being at heart. But then just like normal things that people do, like that was one of the things I asked myself when I, w- when I first got back in recovery is what do normal people do for fun? <laughs> I love your use of the word normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They go to movies, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They go to the mall. And, yeah. And... Uh, them are things I've been able to do now since um since I've been back in recovery and you know it's it's crazy what you can buy yourself when you're not spending all your money on drugs right yeah <laughs> that's a topic that's coming up uh later later this year um, that'll be one of the topics we cover is finances and recovery yeah. <laughs> it's like it's crazy suddenly there's a whole new world available to right. you <laughs> yeah I love that you brought that up so what uh, if you could give like just a final piece of advice to someone who is is maybe feeling isolated, feeling some of those internal barriers to making friends? They want to get out there. They want to find normal relationships and friendships again. What advice would you give that person? Don't hold back. Don't be afraid. I know your mind's probably going to tell you a lot of things. Don't listen to it because your mind's the one who got you addicted to that stuff anyway in the mm. first place. If your instincts tell you it's good, go for it. You know what I mean? Don't be scared to hold back. There's a a lot of people who can benefit from somebody in recovery. Yeah. And um, how are they going to benefit if you don't speak up? Love that. What a note to end on. Cody, thank you for sharing some of your story and your wisdom. This is going to be really uh, a huge encouragement for our listeners. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you, man. That's been episode two of the Uniquely Better Life podcast. Uh, Next month, we're going to be talking about uh, dating and romance and recovery. We'll also hear from a Willow staff member speaking about uh, the idea of codependency a little bit. So tune in next month for that episode. Again, my name is Chase Cotton. I'm the community director here at the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. Thanks for tuning in.